Hey, it's Bill Meeks. Today I have an exciting interview with the super talented and super silly Scott Johnson. Scott's a professional cartoonist and podcaster. Sit back and listen as we look at AI art from a digital artist perspective today. This episode is brought to you by the Everly Heights Building Dreams Patreon. Join the artistic journey and be part of something very special by supporting the project at patreon.com slash everlyheights. And by StreamYard. Use it like I am to bring your streams to life. Get $10 in free credit by going to streamyard.everlyheights.tv to sign up. Hey, Scott, welcome to Building Dreams. Great to have you. Thanks for having me, Bill. I'm, I don't know if we've ever gotten to do this before, so this feels like a long time coming. Yeah, I feel like I, I, I think I've been a guest on one or two of your shows, like maybe Current Geek back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't think you've ever guessed it on mine. So. No, it's been it's been a lot of like we have a lot of shared minutia, you and I, with the, the people we work with, some of our audiences shared. And then it just hit me the other day when we were planning this. I'm like, I don't think I've ever like really had this kind of one on one with you before. So this is nice. I'm really glad you asked me on. Yeah, I, I hope I don't disturb you too much by the end of it. We, I'll, I'll do my best <laughs> to keep things relatively normal. <laughs> awesome. You know, we're here to talk a little bit about AI art and generative AI art and everything. But before we get into the AI of it all, why don't you go ahead and give us a rundown of your history in traditional and digital visual arts? Okay, sure. So um, there may be some people even hear this are like, wait a minute, I didn't know he even did that. But about 50% of my work in business is in illustration comic art, that sort of thing. And I've been doing it forever. Um, (laughs) I went to college for art, for visual arts. I've been drawing since I was, I don't know, seven or eight years old. Uh, Always had a sketchbook with me. Very traditional beginnings to all of that uh, back in the day when, you know, we didn't have things like Wacom tablets and uh, iPad (laughs) Pros and stuff like that. So a very different time. Uh, Lots of traditional media and, and that sort of thing. And that's sort of what I was raised on, trained on. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as my own preferences, I kind of settled into inking a lot of ink and pencil work and and uh, and color work. And when digital art came around, and we could start using those as our tools, that was a huge day for me because it meant no more stocking up on paper and Bristol board, and no more <laughs> stocking up on a thousand pens and inks and a million other things. I didn't have to worry about it anymore. Um, Just put a couple grand into a computer, and you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, you're good to go. Especially these days, you even spend a little less. Um, in fact. My poor Wacom collects dust over there now because I use my iPad Pro uh, and Procreate almost exclusively now uh, for almost everything I do because um, it's 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 that capable um, and I really like it. But but that's kind of where where I've always sort of stayed up on what was new. So when it made sense to get into airbrushing because that was the hot thing, I got into that. Mm-hmm. When digital first you know cracked an eye open back in the <laughs> very very early aughts, I was right. I was on it. I was like, yep, I'm getting mm-hmm. into this, whatever it takes. And back then it was like tablets where you had to draw blind. There was no screens. So you just yeah. had a, a tablet and you had to look at your screen while you drew on the tablet. And it was a weird skill to develop. But I went through all of that and um, and I've stayed with it. I've never actually been able to get the hang of using a tablet. I don't know what it is. It's just something like I, I can use like a tablet if it's not a screen. Yeah. You know, if it's just like on the side and I'm just like using it as sort of like a, a human interface device or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but I don't know, for some reason, like drawing on the actual screen, just like I don't know, it, it makes it I, it throws me off. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, I get it. A lot of people struggle with that early on. I did as well. Um, some of the ways I would cover for that is I would buy these screen protectors that were textured like paper. Mm, and mm. that would help because there is a big jump from going to the feel of, say, graphite on paper, uh, which has kind of a coarse drag to everything, than yeah. to a perfectly smooth screen surface with a plastic nub for a pen. Um, it's like driving on an ice rink. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. It felt weird. It felt slippery. It's like the Mario snow levels. You don't want to really play those, you know? <laughs> so I, I I got used to it, though, and I started using screen covers and things in various ways. Um, but today, it's to me, they're it's indiscernible to me. And even when I jump back and forth, go from paper to tablet to paper, sometimes I try to pinch and zoom on paper, and that's a problem because mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I'm so used to it, you know? Or undoing yeah. very quickly with a couple of finger taps. Can't do that. <laughs> 
on paper. <laughs> uh, so yeah, habits habits are there. But I I've spent all of that many many. Well, I guess it's now it's been multiple decades, at least three decades, almost uh, strictly as a digital. Uh, artist and really the difference between the two is very very minimal it's mostly the convenience that comes from not having a bunch of messy media like paint and everything to work with but still achieving the same results uh is was a big boon for me in terms of you know uh, workflow and how much i could do and how much more i could do and it's the standard it's what everyone does to now if you work professionally in art that's what you do which brings us to current uh, where I still do this, where, you know, we're now being faced with new tools every day, as you are aware, that are mm -hmm. in one way or another, either helping artists or challenging artists. And, uh, I have a sometimes lot of thoughts both. about that. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> both. Sometimes at the exact same time. <laughs> now, I, just, uh, to go back into the past, just very briefly here, like, uh, when you, you know, the everyone started using tablets and everything, did, did you have any resistance to it as an artist or did you notice, resistance to digital technologies from other artists at that time period? Oh, for sure. And I still have some friends that refuse to do it. Um, they're very, I wouldn't call them troglodytes, but they're just, they're just very, um, or Luddites, the word, not troglodytes. <laughs> <laughs> that is the wrong word. Um, they're, they're cavemen, basically. No, they, <laughs> they, they have very, very, you know, been very resistant to it from the very beginning. Um, I was not because... I tend to, um, to me, it, became, it was obvious very early that you get on board with this or you're behind. Like you just don't, you're, you're, this is no different than when they figured out how to go from papyrus and stuff mashed together to create quote unquote paper to actual pressed paper from a, from a paper mill Yeah. to any tools, you know, drawing on caves to then doing it on tablets to then whatever. If you look at any era of time, Visual art, especially, you know, a person with some sort of implement on a surface has changed very little ultimately in what the job is. It's just the tools to do the job have evolved. And I don't see this as any different. Um, I, you know, it's easy to look at it and go, ah, we rely too much on technology. I understand that sentiment. I totally get it. But for me, um, this was a clear path to what's next like this is this 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 had to be the way to go and the thing was i could always go back like yeah it's not like i can't still pull out a canvas and whip out a painting in fact do sometimes because it's good to stay you know grounded in that stuff but uh i can't tell you how much mess i save how much literally <laughs> money i save on on you know canvases aren't cheap i you know buy a yeah. decent canvas at a decent size you're spending 100 bucks just for the canvas it doesn't count all the paint doesn't count all the time doesn't count all the the waiting for it to dry and the layering of paint and all the other crap you got to do uh, that I can kind of avoid and still achieve this stuff. And some people saw, well, that sounds like cheating. Well, it's not. It's just mm -hmm. we. It's like anything. Um, it's like saying, well, you survived the flu because you took a flu shot versus my ancestors who survived it but almost died. Well, okay, we make advancements to make things better, easier. For everyone, and to me, in the art world anyway, this has been that. Yeah. So uh, when did you first uh, become aware of generative AI art? I know it, it's still like super recent. I think it really just kind of kicked off really about a year ago. Uh, but when did you first become aware of it? What were your first initial impressions of it? I guess the first thing I really saw was that DALI 1 stuff that was, you know, people could use for free. Um and it would do four very small resolution squares of of what it thought you were asking it to draw. That was probably my first exposure to it. And like everyone else, there's a real novelty to it at first. It's like, oh, this is funny. Uh, show me, I don't know, Bernie Sanders eating a lot of bananas or something. <laughs> and then it would do that, right? And you'd get some pretty funny, hilarious results. And yeah, I did that, a lot of uh, Obama holding koalas. Like that yeah, was my exactly. Thing. Yeah, that yeah. sounds great. Uh, for what some reason or another, we all put a political figure in here. I don't know why, but <laughs> but we had, you know, we had a, a pretty good idea then. I think, uh, and I think it's 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 come to fruition that that was just the very very early rough beginning. And that these things, these models were going to get very good. They were going to get very good very quickly. And we were going to get to a place where <coughs> it'd be hard to deny the technology's uh, ability to render, um, you know, even in some cases, hyper-realistic versions of what people put in their prompts. 
Um, but then all the way down to every stylized choice, making it look like other artists, which you know gets into the, some of the issues I have with the technology. But for the most part, it's kind of gone the way I, I thought it would go in a very short amount of time. And I think it has it still has leaps and bounds to go. I think we're going to start to see this in video way more. We already are. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like stable video diffusion just dropped a couple weeks ago and it's like it's crazy it is crazy what that thing does like it's gone so far from the real glitchy weird stuff early on to to something i could actually see that's the one thing is i actually think some of the best art that ai is producing Mm -hmm. and i say that in quotes because duping somebody's style or doing a realistic photo image of somebody who's famous or something i don't i don't consider that art i consider that just replicating based on its data replication yeah and it's fine it's fine for what it is but i actually feel that the art might come from the the weird video side where (laughs) nothing makes sense stuff's morphing in and out of weird places they're doing things with that that i've never seen before and that Mm -hmm. to me is a new kind of art it's very different arts and how it's generated is different and all those other things. I don't find it nearly as controversial though, because it's new. It's doing something new visually yeah. that makes me feel a way when I see it, I feel a way I've not felt before with visual mediums that I don't, I can't think of a better definition of art than that. Mm-hmm. So, so I, so it's weird because I've, you know, I have people ask me this question all the time. How do you feel about these art generators? Well, I think some of it sucks. Some of it's terrible. Some of it's just, lazy some of it uh most of it by the way i can pick out anytime i see it it's not hard to know um and that's the one thing everybody keeps thinking this stuff is looking better and better and technically it is but you can still tell and i don't mean it's like uncanny valley i mean i can just immediately look at the image and go well that's ai and that one's not i just know intuitively and i don't think that's ever going to change i actually think that that will probably continue to be the same now if you're just doing cursory looks at something you might miss it uh, if you're not really paying attention but i've seen stuff where i just went oh of course that's ai and other people are like wait (laughs) really that looks like a photograph no that's freaking ai and then you find out later it was or you zoom in and find out the the pope's got eight fingers and the the donkey behind him has three ears by accident these aren't supposed to happen that way and you know the, the the technology still has its glitches but even as those start to clear up i think we're still going to, I just think we're going to know. I'm, I'm less worried about how convincing AI gener- image generation is. I'm more concerned about idiots who fall for it. Because mm-hmm. to me, they're the problem, not the, not the, <laughs> not the images. Because I don't think it's that hard to tell. And even if I can't tell, I, I just, I hope anyway, humanity grows some critical thinking and yeah. doesn't automatically assume things like that must be real or this must be fake and if you're not sure you you do your homework you do your digging you find out and you know that that's kind of my attitude toward that end of this uh, of this spectrum a little bit so you're kind of you're concerned about the side that could you know promote disinformation and you know that that sort of thing more so than necessarily people using it as a tool or yeah, because, okay, so I'll give you an example of how I use it as a tool. Um, some of this may surprise people, I don't know. But uh, the other day, I was having the hardest time coming up with a reference photo for how I wanted to create a Santa Claus. So I'm doing 25 days of Santa Claus in December. Every day I do a Santa Claus drawing, it's something different every time. Sometimes they're weird and wacky, sometimes they're kind of standard. But every day I, I try a different idea. And just the other day I was like, well, I've never drawn Santa Claus fencing. It sounds like a weird <laughs> thing to say, right? So I want him fencing with like a like his foil or his sword thing will will be an actual uh candy cane, you know, all striped. And mm-hmm. I want him to be but I but I was looking for was a pose that was very typical of an actual fencer. And everything I was finding as reference photos and stuff like I don't like any of these. I don't want to draw it from this angle. I want to do it from that thing or whatever. And I just didn't like any of them. So I went into um Oh, what did I use? Oh, I just used uh, the stuff that's built into uh, into Bing. Okay, um, the Bing image creator. The image creator in Bing, and yeah. I said, um, I guess I have enough points or whatever to, to hit the <laughs> point. The point system is a whole other thing. I feel yeah. like it's like text messages in the '90s. We're we're gonna get to a point <laughs> where that sounds really stupid that we're charging for points. But anyway, um, I said, can I get a great side shot of very traditional uh, fencer? like old school, mm-hmm. 
like something you might see in a, an old 20s film or something. I wanted that kind of level. And it did exactly what I asked it for. It made what looked like an old photograph. You could tell it was AI, but yeah. an old photograph, kind of a side view of kind of an on-guard thing, hand up here, sword out front. And it was perfect. And it beat any other photo I had to, to find and saved me a ton of time. So I parked that thing up in a little thumbnail space in the corner and used it as my reference as I drew the, as I sketched out my sketch, my pencil, and ended up being exactly what I wanted. Mm -hmm. So that the use case in that case has been very good for me. Um, I just did one today where I'm trying to, I'm trying to do a, uh, a showdown on an old West, uh, middle of like main street, old West town where you might have a, a gun, a gun, what do you call it? Like a standoff. And what I was looking for is just kind of the feeling of what did one of those streets look like? It's muddy, you know, wagon wheels parked on the side of the thing, uh, stores jutting out. Like there's a hardware store and there's the saloon. And, you know, I just wanted that perspective to get my mm -hmm. brain going. So I fired one of those up and it was like, oh, yeah, no, this is perfect. So once again, I've got a great reference image that I can look at and go, okay, yeah, I like this. I like that. And still do all my normal stuff. Uh the I have a better time creating some of the stuff I need to get going or to get references for, especially with commissions. Yeah. I'm not using the art they give me, but I am using that and saying, well, I don't like the front image. Can I get a three quarter view of this same scene? Boom. It can poop it out. And now I can say, Oh, you know what? I am going to do it from that angle. Cause this is a better thing that saves me ton of sketch and rewrite and, and all that other time. Yeah, it's something you, I, I would assume you traditionally you would go to like, I don't know, Google Images for you'd have a personal library of like magazine mm -hmm. clippings with with uh, references. But now you can just kind of like spin up your own. Yeah, it used to be. So they had a name for this. It was called your morgue, like almost mm -hmm. like it's like death. But back in the day, it was <laughs> called a morgue. And I had a teacher in junior high who first uh, taught me about this. And we had to keep one. Basically, it was a a big drawer, like a like a cabinet drawer full of magazine clippings like you said um images for reference that you found somewhere photos you'd taken yourself and then you know developed and then put in there and then that was your place and you could have it in there under animals or under people or, or whatever and that was like your way of having your reference material mm -hmm. um obviously it's a very arduous task to manage one of those things in the modern day especially like why would the crap would we do that <laughs> the internet made that easier overall so that you could keep a digital morgue pretty simply but what this provides me is a real-time morgue. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have to have a bunch of references. I just have to kind of have in my head what I'm looking for. And it will give me some semblance of that. It's never good enough, but it's always enough for me to go, okay, cool. I can start here and I can keep moving. And so I think a lot of artists, this is the part people don't talk about. There's a lot of sort of interim parts of their jobs as artists that this is helping but maybe not in the ways people think. People think we're going straight from I used to draw this to now I type it out and it poops it out for me. It isn't really happening that way on the ground, if that makes sense. In my opinion and my experience and everything, it, a lot of artists are just using it to sort of like make the boring parts of art creation more efficient. You know, the stuff like looking for references or, um, you know, just do basic scene composition to build on, you know, that sort of right. thing. Like it, it can, it can, uh, it gives you more room and opportunity to explore ideas mm -hmm. with, without a sort of a limiting yourself, being limited by time. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, I think we're giving too much credit to this idea this may be controversial. I don't know. But maybe too much credit to the idea that people are simply going in, getting great at prompt work, mm -hmm. uh, thinking that makes themselves makes them an artist, uh, and then having the final work poop out from the computer and say, well, there it is. I've done it. Isn't this amazing? That is a yeah. very short-lived, very narrow piece of interest. Like That's, that's fun for an internet post that says... I told it I wanted to combine Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and look what it did to Yoda. Like, that's fun. That's a fun thing to screw around with. Yeah. But it doesn't actually get anything done. There's no workflow there. I mean, there is, but there's no workflow toward any goal there. It's not like anybody was asking for this. And it's not like you're going to go around and sell a ton of those because guess what? Everybody can make them. So <laughs> it's it's not that big a deal. Where, where The thing I think people miss is that is a very shallow end of the pool. 
Mm-hmm. And that exists no matter what. Whenever there's a new thing, a new technology, whatever, people flock to it and they do it. Um, this is really just that end of the pool. Over on the deep end of the pool, where I'm trying to hang out, <laughs> you know, you have seasoned comic book artists who are like, I don't want to draw New York again before I put Spider-Man swinging over it. Uh, hey, computer, give me a good layout of the city that I can work with and let's do it with this certain perspective with a fisheye lens or something bam now they have a basis for it and it doesn't mean that they now trace that or immediately stick it right into the panel and draw on top of it some may i don't know but a lot of these guys are just like no that's great now i'll pencil over this and i'll i'll be able to get more quickly back to this character his movement through the city the city will still look good and be part of the composition but it's no longer going to be six weeks of work for me it will be two weeks of work and I can spend more time on the character, work with the writer more, make sure my letterer has the spaces he needs. Like, like those kinds of things, like most of life, is where the rubber meets the road. It's complex. It's, it's, it's more than just, I put a prompt in, it pooped out a thing, good night, everybody. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you might, and, and people have said, well, not yet. That's always the answer I hear. <laughs> like, one day, they're just going to write it all for us. I don't know, man. I don't know. Like maybe there's already this problem now where training data is training on itself mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it puts out, you, you know, you put out, and I'm sure you talked about this a bunch on the show, but you, you pump out enough of this, of this imagery or text for that matter, for the GPTs yeah. of the world and stuff. Uh, you are going to have a feedback loop from that stuff that is going to start kind of make your work incestuous a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you end up with like some really weird results and it's a problem I know AI researchers are trying to deal with and work on. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I just, yeah. I, I was going to say, you know, I, I've run into that myself, you know, because I've, I've been training all these custom models for like backgrounds and character model sheets and stuff like that. Right. And it, it's definitely like a, it does ha- actually help the model to feed the results of the model, the stuff it outputs back in through it. But you have to make sure that you curate those samples that you're feeding back into it. And a lot of times it involves a lot of touching up and, you know, like taking out all the weirdness or you're just going to duplicate that and add to it. And eventually you're just going to end up with a mess of a model that doesn't make anything (laughs) that looks like anything, you know? Yeah. Like there's, there's also this idea, this concept that, that if you're an average, let's say you're just kind of an average artist or, you know, you don't have your own style or whatever it is, but you've got an amazing idea. You pump all this stuff through prompts and tools. And on the other side comes a thing that would happen only if you were a better artist, meaning the tools have made you, have made your final output better than it could have been had you been just left with a pen and a piece of paper. But that's the kind of the truth of everything. Like if you really want to come right down to it, there are paintings by the masters you know, there are Leonardo da Vinci paintings and drawings that were enhanced because he coded it when he was done with special materials that would make it kind of not translucent. What's the word I'm looking for? Iridescent to the eye. Uh, mm-hmm. There were there have always been attempts to uh, take what somebody did and then make it look better. You know, film is great at this. Movies, that's the whole thing with movies. It, yeah, it it looks magical almost how how good things can look and photography and and stuff in movies is definitely an example of that. But it, the cases where where the human brilliance is the part you want to focus on, the thing that makes it great is what the person made. I I, I think there's a future where these tools and that person uh, slash people can coexist and benefit one another. Whether the training data helps the, the the model or the model helps the human, or, or and to what degree I don't know ultimately, mm-hmm. but I do think there's ways to harness this stuff so that we're not, you know, we're not selling our artistic souls, yeah, um, but we're also not lediting ourselves into a cave. Now, speaking of harnessing, have you taken any looks into sort of training like a custom like Scott Johnson model or anything like that? Have you have you taken a look into doing some customization work like that? No, but I have. I've thought about it. I haven't done it. Um, mm-hmm. Part of it would be. I mean, I know there are open source models that would suit this really well. Yeah, I probably should just because I think this is going to be a need for people to do this. But um, I think. I think I'm at the moment, I'm more happy to have these tools do peripherals. They're almost like working for me and they're not the final 
they're not the final bit of anything I do. They're, they're just tools along the way. And so if that means I did this the other day, I said, I need a really good Wes Anderson color, color palette. Mm-hmm. One that's just typical of, of Wes Anderson. And yeah. you can search for these on Google Images and DuckDuckGo and everywhere else. You can find stuff and you can maybe find something you're happy with. Or you can even yourself go to capture some video caps from, you know, Asteroid City or something and say, well, these are the most, this is the most Wes Anderson looking colors I've ever seen. Let's use these. That's all true and possible and everything else. But AI is quick. And all I have to do is say, I need Wes Anderson colors. And it'll poop out. I hate using poop. Anyway, <laughs> it'll give me a, a grid, right, of all these perfect pastels and all these things that just really fit his vibe. And now I've got the color palette I want and I have it in seconds. And it's also digital right now, which means it's moving around in my digital workspace I already work in. Mm-hmm. So it's those ways of using it that people aren't talking about. Like they, yeah. people talk about just the put it in a prompt, get the results. And I'm at least right now way more interested in what can you do for me in this process? Not, mm-hmm. I don't want you to output it because that's boring to me. What yeah. I want you to do is is help me get there faster, more efficiently, and maybe a few tricks along the way the way that I haven't thought of. And it's been doing that for me. Mm-hmm. And so I went from very early on in this, I was a little bit like, I don't, you know, the ethics of some of this training training models using artists' work without permission and or compensation is is bothersome, still is, mm-hmm. um, things like that. But you know, in the photorealistic realm, that's a whole other issue. You know, for ph- photographers, I know have their own concerns because. If if this if, here's my honest honest opinion, if there if there really is going to be a war about this, uh, a war of words and intellect, I hope, <laughs> not guns and <laughs> swords, it will be, it will be between the the professional photography community and AI, mm-hmm. um, because now you're just talking about images that are generated based on real every, everything in that image is meant to be as realistic and as photorealistic as possible. That, yeah. that does impact uh, photographers. But in my like my daughter's case, she's a she's a professional photographer. She does this full time, and she loves uh, Photoshop's generative fill option for some cases. Like we were in a cramped space, we didn't have the studio space we thought we were going to have. There, this family we that paid for the commission are much larger than we thought. We got cropping issues. We have composition issues. A ton of that can be fixed later with good tools like that. And she still kind of controls the, the outcome, uh, even though sometimes you get some weird results, but you know, she can, she can mold that into what she wants it to be. And then the client's much happier. So, so even there, there are opportunities for them, but I, I do understand why what I do stylistically or another artist does with their own style, their own taste, their own touch is less at risk in this whole thing. I think than straight up photo work, that's going to be tricky. Do you uh, mess around with generative fill very much? Because I, I find it very, very useful, especially for like, you know, fixing details on images I generate through stable diffusion. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, you can do in-painting in stable diffusion where you're like, okay, I'm going to mark out this hand, put a good looking hand there. And yeah. you can do that in stable diffusion. It's slow. It's janky. Generative fill, I find, is much faster, probably because it's using Adobe's uh, servers. But yeah, yeah. It, what do you think of it? I think it's pretty good. Um, I mean, I think it's kind of magical what it pulls off. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a huge gun in their arsenal. It's funny because right around the time they introduced that, I had fully gotten off the, as I call it, the Adobe teat. Um, <laughs> I've been using Adobe products since as long as I can remember. Back in a, like a Mac Classic days, I was using Photoshop. And, uh, you know, every iteration since then and when they went to a subscription model and all that, and even for audio production and that sort of stuff. But I made it my goal last year in 2023 to be completely CC free. I just didn't want to, wow. I don't know why I'm just, I have too many subscriptions that are, <laughs> I was just tired of it. I was annoyed. And, uh, also they were, you know, buggy releases and some other problems. And I was like, well, let's see what we can do. It was almost like an experiment. So yeah. I shifted, uh, almost entirely on the Photoshop illustrator, you know, publisher front over to affinity photo. I really like those guys. Um, they're a buy once use forever pay for updates they're you know pay for major new releases kind of products so no subscription and they are essentially one for one can do everything those apps do for the equivalent of adobe apps until generative fill happened Mm -hmm. which sounds like a guy we're talking about i'm generative (laughs) fill 
Anyway, that's a good cartoon. I should think about that. Anyway, when that happened, everybody in those communities that support these smaller uh, tool makers were like, whoa, uh, are we going to have that over here? Are you guys working on something like that? And they are to some degree or whatever, but they haven't really had an answer to Adobe's uh, release of generative fill. And uh, I don't know that they ever will have the, the power to do that given, you know, the resources Adobe has versus what they have. Yeah, and I think uh, Adobe, they're doing most of the processing on their end, uh, which I think probably, you know, adds a lot of the power <laughs> to it in the speed. But yeah, I think that's 80% of it probably. Um, but they they just, nobody else has quite, uh, has quite the answer for it. So it was really smart of them to take the industry standard imaging software and add a thing to it that nobody else is doing. That's massive. And it will benefit them and people will stay with Photoshop because of it. Um, I have been, I got, so it put me in the position of going, yay, I'm free. I, I, I'm using nothing but all these other cool tools, some open source stuff for audio and video and some other cool stuff. I'm very happy with this. Oh, shoot. Where am I going to get this generative fill? <laughs> um, so there was like a moment there where I was tempted to go back and just like sub to Photoshop again, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. I have used it a few times. Um, I think it's magical. My daughter uses it, like I said, for her work mm-hmm. and it is very cool. Yeah. Um, Again, though, I think it actually by design, Adobe's model is actually a really good one because the, it it follows along with what I'm saying. You're not going in there blank and saying, fill this up. I mean, you can, yeah. sort of. You can sort of build a thing out if you want to. But what they really are aiming that for and what people are using it for is saying, I'm a photographer. I took this photo in downtown New York City at dusk, and it's exactly what I want, except there's a stop sign in the way a guy yelling at me and there's something wrong with the upper corner and I don't know what happened Mm -hmm. there. Fix that. And it does it so pristinely that you now have the photo you meant to take. And it was just a tool on the road to get your, your work, your art to where you wanted it. And so again, I feel like that's the use case most people are doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, it is really fun. Like, uh, you know, it doesn't do great with people, all the time, you know, no. some, sometimes it's a bit hit and miss with people, but, and it, it's a little too uh, heavy handed with the censorship. I find like, if I'm like trying to like fix an elbow or something, it'll think it's a boob and then it'll be like, no, I can't do it. Mm. Um, yeah. But, you know, but besides that, like, uh, I, I think, I think it's great and it, it's nice and speedy. Uh, it's very good. Yeah, um, it's very cool. And it's like, it, like it's, like I said, I think it's, an in, it's now industry, um, industry leading. It's a, t- it's a tool that nobody quite has. Like there are, there are others that have similar stuff. There's like even a TikTok filter that lets you take photos where you're zoomed in and then they zoom out and fill everything in. And it's pretty good. Yeah. It's convincing, but it's not quite there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll see others come a, come around and heck the affinity people who I support will probably end up implementing something similar at some point. I think they kind of have to, but, uh, that's, that's kind of why this is the new, this is the new battleground. I mean, the battleground in the nineties was PCs mm-hmm. and the battleground in the aughts was, was cell phones and smartphones and the battleground now, I think it's this. Yeah, like, this yeah. is the thing. They're all competing for. Everybody wants your eyeballs for. There's a reason there's volatility with stuff like OpenAI firing and rehiring their CEO in record time. And, <laughs> you know, all that crap. It's 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 obvious to me that there is a race on like there hasn't been for a while, maybe since the late 90s. Yeah, I was going to say it. this reminds me a lot of like the Netscape Internet Explorer kind of era where, mm-hmm. you know, the, the three or four tech companies were like vying for, for their spot in the pecking order. Yeah, and they were trying so hard and working so fast. And you can see it happening again where Microsoft's like, shoot, we don't have it. Uh, quick, invest a ton in open AI. OK, cool. Uh, we own most <laughs> of it now. Uh, and they do that with money. They always do. You got Google over there going, well, we've been working on this Gemini stuff forever, but we weren't ready. But now OpenAI is eating our lunch, so we got to be ready. Mm-hmm. So here it is sort of working. So here's Bard uh, 1.0. <laughs> it's all right. But then later it's better. And, you know, they're all just like scrambling for the hearts and minds of everybody. Yeah. Uh, GPT got such a such a leg up, like an eight-month leg up in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. And it's making everybody just kind of go, ah, how do we, you know, <laughs> if you're a major company, like I don't even know what Apple plan to, plans to do. Maybe they don't care um, yeah, about this I think part. I've heard. I think I've heard they're planning on putting it in the, on the phone somehow, but it's like it's slow to come out and they have to like do a bunch of they're trying to do like Adobe doing it all on their 
their server side yeah. so the phones don't have to be you know seven thousand dollars or whatever yeah or or be you know battery sucking monsters every time they try to do anything and you know i'd be interested to see what they do but it is definitely that moment uh, we were having that moment again and as usual there's like brash startups doing some leading here and that's fun to watch because then you see all the old dinosaurs going oh crap we have to pivot <laughs> Everybody pivot. You ready? All 9,000 of us and 28 offices around the world and a million server farms. Let's pivot all at once. Ready? Pivot. Like that's <laughs> that's crazy where scrappy little startups with 20 people on staff to start with are all like, here's the new model. It's awesome. And we already got 8 billion hits today. And, you know, that that's fun. It's a fun process. It's disruptive, but it's fun. Yeah. Yeah, there's a bit of a horse race aspect to it, too. Like, uh, you know, who, who's going to come out with the best model this week? You know, who's going to be the new winner sort of thing? Yeah, you see, you see. I mean, if, if you think it's competitive now, I think we're just at the cusp of it. It's going to get mm. it's going to get bananas. And so so there I, I fully understand why people in the position of, I don't know, let's say you're a staff artist at Disney or you're an artist on a video game. I always use this video game example because to me this is this is rubber meets road kind of example. But it, you, let's say you're a small developer and you make computer RPGs in the vein of the original Baldur's Gate games or something, and you just you have a, a good following. You've had some successful releases. Things are going great, but you're a little twelve man team. You don't have a lot going for you money wise. No big investment. You're not a monster studio. Um, and suddenly, like literally almost overnight. You are told that, hey, you know that screen where we let people choose from 80 uh, avatar paintings to best represent their character? Um, we no longer have to hire those four artists to draw those 80 paintings. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and as much as they used to cost us, all those cost comparisons and everything, we no longer have any of that. In fact, the player will get their own set of faces. No one else will have seen these before because they're randomly generated. Mm -hmm. And if he doesn't like what he's seeing, he can put in some parameters so that those faces pop up with, you know, none of them have a right eye or something. Yeah. And he can choose his thing on the fly and they will look indistinguishably painterly from quote unquote, the real thing. And it won't cost us nothing. It'll cost us nothing. Yeah. Really. In comparison, why would any small developer not want to do that? They, of course, would want to do that. It's a price, it's a cost saving, time saving, and technologically viable thing they can do in their games. And it means they can ship sooner, uh, reap profit sooner, like all of those benefits of it. Why wouldn't they? If I ran a small studio, I would, I would be all over that. Even though I don't like this idea that the artists who worked their whole lives to get to this position are now going to be out on their butts because they are no longer needed for this particular job. That's that's why this is so controversial because... What could be so controversial? Well, you'll have to stay tuned to find out. Here's a quick word about the Building Dreams Patreon. We'll be right back with more insights from Scott in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the Everly Heights Building Dreams Patreon. At everlyheights.tv, Bill Meeks already teaches you how to use the latest AI tech as he uses it himself to produce animated shows set in the fictional town of Everly Heights, Ohio. Support Bill on Patreon to gain access to an array of exclusive benefits, including his custom AI tools and models, behind-the-scenes content, and engaging Stable Diffusion Q and A sessions. Join the artistic journey and be part of something very special by supporting the project at patreon.com slash Everly Heights. So what could be so controversial? Let's tune back into my conversation with Scott to find out. I don't like this idea that the artists who worked their whole lives to get to this position are now going to be out on their butts because they are no longer needed for this particular job. That's, that's why this is so controversial because on the one hand, Innovation seems rad, and on the other hand, somebody's got to go. And even though they, even though you could, they may, they may be able to integrate in another way. You know that that always happens. Uh, when Lotus One Two Three happened, the entire accounting world went, "We're screwed. <laughs> we're we're yeah. never the robots are taking our jobs immediately. We are so screwed." And they panicked. And instead, I'm not saying these are one to one examples, but instead, it increased the number of jobs in the accounting world. 
hand over fist to the point that the financial services world is gigantic. Why? Automation and computer-based uh, stuff. All, all of that changed that forever in the positive and more jobs, more, 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 more. Yeah. Does, is that same thing going to happen here? It's hard to say yet, but I have a feeling that we'll repeat that a little bit, you know? Yeah, you're already seeing some, some of this, like, uh, you know, corporations using this is a really good excuse to, you know, cut jobs. Like Wizards of the Coast just this week, I think, announced a round of layoffs. At the same time, they published uh, job posting for someone to touch up AI artwork. And, you know, obviously, you know, Magic the Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons, the artwork is a pretty big part of it. So users have very mixed feelings on that right now, for sure. Yeah, and there and that it'll be continually mixed. Like it sounds dystopic if you jump too far ahead before we can get there, where we say your next big HBO prestige drama hit will be made by computers entirely. <laughs> We're not there. We're nowhere near that, right? And I also think that public perception tempers these things when when Marvel released the uh, Secret War series, mm-hmm. and that intro got all kinds of heat for being. AI generated. Yeah. Yeah. Poorly, I might add. It looked bad, I thought. <laughs> yeah, um, that was a I believe that was a it's called Deforum. It's a plugin for stable diffusion they used. Yeah. And I've never liked it. Like yeah. it it just always looks just a little too crappy for me, you know. Yeah, that I agree with you. And it was it was really bad. And and a lot of people responded like this is the future. And and my take is like, I don't know. I remember when digital film came around in like 05, 04, mm-hmm. and everybody thought, well, this looks bad. It looks like, um, you know, it looks like a, a daytime soap opera film this or something. And it did. It looked kind of bad in those early days. Even yeah. great films like Michael Mann's, um, I forgot the name of the movie, the one with- the Jamie uh, Foxx one? Yes. Yeah, uh, I, I, the, it's in a parking garage. I can't collateral, remember. Collateral. Collateral, that's it. That's it. That's Him it. and Tom Cruise, one of the best Tom Cruise movies, better roles ever. But anyway, that movie is an amazing film, but it was created at a time where this technology was new and it was being introduced into a world that was used to film and the film looked a certain way. Well, what happened? It's like what everything happens with everything. It's an iterative process. And at first those look kind of janky, especially nighttime shots. And then over time, we are now at a point, it is indistinguishable. The only reason we assume it's even digital now is because most people have moved to it. Like you got to go to a Tarantino movie to make sure it's film again because he's the only guy doing it. Yeah, it's an unusual thing to use film now, for sure. Exactly. It's now flipped the other way. So, so, but, but in terms of our eyes, what we see, what we perceive, those tools have gotten very, very good. But remember, they have only served to help the creative process not replace it or hinder it so i'm a pragmatist when it comes to this stuff it depends on the day you ask me today i'm feeling very pragmatic about it because the 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 biggest problem i have with with ai honestly is that the tools are so ubiquitous now that it isn't you don't need to spend six thousand dollars on a on a red camera to, to make your movie you can do it on a phone and you can use a lot of AI tools to do other things. So that misinformation stuff we talked about earlier, the mm-hmm. inability for the internet to freaking calm down and breathe uh, and not just post nightmarish scenarios and things that are either fake or tweaked or whatever. Our, our, our power to create poor propaganda with our own fingertips at no cost has never been more real than now. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff that I don't like. It's not the tech's fault. We're poor stewards of it in a lot of ways. And I hate that. Yeah, I, I don't think it's uh, that far removed from, I mean, there have been people making like fake nudes of celebrities and, you know, manufacturing news fo- photos and stuff in Photoshop for 20, 30 years. This just maybe takes away a little bit of the friction and I don't know, maybe makes it it incumbent upon us to be a little bit more uh, critical and uh, skeptical of the things we run across online. Yeah, I agree. In fact, I think I said it earlier at the top. I just think our, our ability to think critically is, is going to need a booster Mm -hmm. because, Mm -hmm. you know, I think I'm pretty good at it now. I'm less reactive than I used to be. And it's part of it's because the proliferation of this stuff has, has helped me get there. So in a way I'm, 
I'm kind of glad it's it's possible to make a fake, uh, you know, sex tape of somebody famous uh, that's very, you know, very controversial or something and makes it look mm-hmm. like somebody's a very bad person or whatever. I'm kind of glad that it's to a point that people can be fooled by it because in a way, how do I put this? Like, I, I, for me to discern it, I just have to have better skills to discern it. And we all should work on that. <laughs> As a global community of internet users, I, I think mm-hmm. that's the lesson because the tools are not going to stop or go away. Yeah, We're not going to legislate them away. We may have some moderation here and there. We may have to figure out ways to deal with whatever. But if we want this to be open and available and used in these creative ways, we have to, we got to be better at like recognizing some stuff for what it is. In the same way that we learned to when it came to, well, if it's on 4chan, I probably can't trust it as much mm-hmm. as if it's on this this Reddit I follow that's heavily moderated. Like we had to learn those things. It's not that different. Yeah, it all comes down to basic, you know, media literacy and, you know, yeah. not yeah. taking anything at face value and making sure that, you know, there's something behind the before you accept it as a fact, you know? Yeah, we're just adding new media to the literacy. Mm-hmm. But it's really the same process. You know, I mean, you and I are both heavily involved in the podcasting world and mm-hmm. and anybody anywhere with a microphone and a free account someplace can go post some show claiming anything they want to claim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody's going to hear that stuff and believe it. But I hope more of us will see it and go, I don't trust that source. I do trust this source. That's because these guys have come through four or five times and also clarified when they were wrong. You know, like we have these ways of doing this. It's just we live in such a fast paced world and this stuff changes so quickly that nobody feels like they have time to stop, think and then react instead of just react. Mm-hmm. But I think those skills are going to be. I think those skills are going to be like valuable moving forward. Um, oh, absolutely! Yeah, I mean know. they always have been, but I mean especially now, especially now. Yeah. Um. So, uh, you know, we've talked a bit, quite a bit about generative AI art. Uh, we did kind of touch on you know Chat GPT and the chat bots and stuff like that. You know, you you kind of have a side of you that is a writer too. Are you are you finding yourself using uh, tools like that for any specific? use cases in your work so uh, a couple of case use cases in uh, and again it's it's funny it's such a side thing but chat gpt has become invaluable for me i'll just use one show as an example once a week i do a really big three and a half hour video game show called core and on that show we talk everything from big industry stuff down to little tiny games we played and everything in between phone calls emails all that stuff by the end of that thing my notes are gargantuan for a three and a half hour show. And we're not even talking, I'm not even talking like transcription or anything. I mean, just like all of our talking points, plus a few things we came up with on the fly. It's a lot. So what I do now, I have this big spreadsheet for our show notes. When we're done, I copy the entire, all the cells out of the spreadsheet in one big ugly text ball. I paste it into chat GPT in particular, although Bard's, Bard is actually doing this a little better now um, than GPT is, this one use case. Um, cause I've been experimenting, but I basically say, can you take all of this and give me a nice, concise 700 character or less paragraph that sums it up for me, please. Mm-hmm. I always say, please, I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> that's a weird gotta be thing. nice I, to the robots for when they take over. That's what everyone says, but I, I cannot not do it. Like they, they have cro- whatever, whatever uh, they've crossed, whatever line it is where I feel some empathy toward it. Because when I give it a big job like that, I'm like, Oh, thanks so much for doing it. Like I really do get thankful <laughs> And I, I don't know how that's going to go in the future. But anyway, and it does it. And it does it quickly. Mm-hmm. And I'll get this perfect little paragraph that I may have to go one or two words and change them. If, if that. Sometimes it's just straight up perfect the first time. And then, I, then I've got a copy and pasteable summation of the show that I put in all the show notes. I put on the RSS feeds. A thing that used to take me forever to go eyeball and go, <laughs> oh, yeah, we talked about this, talked about this. And I make my own 700 character or less thing. Yep. And that has been a huge uh, for me as a tool, um, what's funny is just the last one I did, I always ask it the same line every week. Take this huge thing, reduce it to 700 characters or less. I don't even know why 700 is where I am, but that's where I am. Mm-hmm. So I tell it that. It comes back with one that's about 1,800 characters. <laughs> and I said, that was not 700 characters. And it goes, yeah, you're right. Here's the real one. And it pooped out the real one. <laughs> that doesn't seem 
cool. Like I, that bothered me a little bit because it felt like very uh, assumey. You know, like the well, computer's you know, they, like, eh, they may not really want 700 characters, so I'll just, you know. It's like, one. I I think it's, you know, they call it AI, so you assume it to be intelligent, and it's not necessarily all, always all that intelligent, and it's also very easy to trick. Like, there's so many, like, little hacks you can do with ChatGPT where if you, if you're, you know, I, I'm going to call your manager, and you'll get a better answer sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. It is kind of like a weird, like it, it's, it, it may even know better than me. Maybe the 1800 characters were a way better idea, you know, <laughs> but it just felt funny to say, you know, the one rule I gave you about character limit, you ignored it and just gave me whatever numbers. And it was like apologetic. Yeah, I went over anyway, here's a 700 character version and it was fine. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm still grappling with some of those issues, but yeah, the, the actual time that saves me every Thursday is kind of immeasurable at this point. Mm-hmm. It, it takes a half hour off my my post show time, which means I get more exposure to ads, which means my show's up there longer, which means the patrons are happier. Like, like there's real world benefits to that time savings. Yeah, and that's a lot different though than saying write me an entire thing of show notes for a show tonight, and then have an AI voice say it all. Use eleven uh, labs.io and let's use that guy's voice. Like yeah. nobody's doing that. <laughs> And when they start to do that, we'll know they're doing that. At least right now, as the as the technology is like that's not nobody want no one is asking for an AI podcast. Nobody. Oh yeah. Why? I don't think it's. I mean, it may be interesting as an experiment, just like me saying, "Show me, you know, Bill Meeks with three eyes and a fourth nipple." (laughs) I don't know why you have three nipples for default. Yeah, you in college. (laughs) But you know what I mean. Like that's a fun one-off. Like, oh, weird. Look what it did. It did a thing. Yeah. And the weirder, the better, because that's interesting for us to see because it's discordant and funky. But Mm -hmm. when it's actually really, really good at all of that and say, make me a today's news summed up in a 15 minute podcast with commentary from multiple fake guests. I'm not interested in that at all as a listener. And I don't think many people are. And I think like when you ask, you know, these these chatbots and stuff to to do something like that. Yes, there's a lot of content there and yes there's information in it but it doesn't flow like it does when a human human writes it you know it doesn't it doesn't quite a uh, kind of grab your attention and guide your attention through the statement like like a like a human does i i i think you know whether we're talking chat gpt we're talking stable diffusion uh you know dolly whatever i think the thing that separates it f- between being a toy and being a tool is a knowledgeable person like you or me or somebody else listening out there to go in and fix all the mistakes. It's a great way to get a, get a quick r- rough draft, but you still need to do a lot of work to get it to something that it is useful to people or entertaining. To right. People. Right. And I think that's what people forget is this stuff's not going to automate your life away. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be those people in uh, what was the Pixar movie where they're all just rolling around on hover things. Uh, uh, Wally. Wally, yeah. yeah, it's not going to be like that. Like it might, I don't know. Maybe there is some dystopic future where we where where we get there. I just think that we we're really good at expressing our fears of this stuff in our art. So films, we do things like Terminator, and we do things like you know, I don't know, just just to think about it, just about anything that we do about the unknown. We talk about the scary parts of the unknown. It's very rare that we just are fully optimistic about the unknown as a human being. So it's not in us to do that. And so we it's fun to explore that, have our Mad Maxes over here. And then in the real world, though, what usually happens is the slow rising road of improvement, of te- technological advancement, our understanding and use cases for it. And it may have its dips and its turns, but for the most part, it's sensible for humans moving as we move forward. And I, I really believe that, like, I don't, I don't have, I'm not afraid of what's next. I'm more afraid about, like I say, about people, the, the technology itself is not what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of how, how people may treat one another using it and at what level can they do that. But, uh, but the technology itself is only going to help me. Uh, it will only help search engines. It will only help other aspects of our lives where we need better results, especially in the digital world where right now, you know, we kind of maxed out what we can Google search. We've maxed out how well you can SEO that Google search 
Like we've done, we've done all that. We've got as about as good as we can. What do we need next? Just a little bit more nuance. And suddenly it's a whole new world of possibilities. And that's, I feel like we're at that nuance level of like, Oh, the possibilities are crazy. Like what you get your echo to do for you now. Imagine what it could do if it was actually smart, and not stupid, <laughs> you know? And they're yep. planning that. Amazon's got all kinds of plans for for that service that I, I'm excited to use it. I have the I think five of those in the house, and I want to see what that's about. And I could easily get nervous about it and go, "Oh, if I thought they had a a listening device in my house before, now they're training on everything <laughs> they hear." And it's like, yeah, but I don't know. What else are you gonna do? You gonna go build a log cabin and never come out? Like, what are you gonna do? I I was I was thinking about actually Ted Kaczynskiing it, but you know uh, maybe maybe that's not the right choice. I think you've you've convinced me of the opposite now, Scott. So I appreciate. <laughs> oh, good. It. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, my, my wife and children will be glad that I won't be making national news. <laughs> oh, that that'll be good. I don't want to see you on there either. To be honest, America's most wanted. <laughs> Speaking of Ted Kaczynski, does it Ted Kaczynski? I have something I wanted to show you real quick. Let me pull it up here. Um, 10 years ago yesterday, I tweeted out a picture that you responded to, and I just wanted to pop it up here real quick. It oh was gosh. when the side of my face blew out because I had a tooth infection, and I, I tweeted out this picture from in front of the dentist office, and yeah. uh, then you, you responded here, um, let's see, uh, dude, what happened? Oh, man, I am so sorry. I had a thing like this a few years ago, miserable, bu miserable business, that. And then every time I've talked to you since then, you've brought it up, so this time, I got to bring it up. <laughs> you got the jump on me, dude. <laughs> I did. I did. You totally did. I remember seeing that at the time. I have a very specific memory of seeing this and going, oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's so big. It's like another whole other face added onto your normal face. Oh, it yeah. It still freaks me out a little bit. Yeah. It, Holy crap. It was crazy because I remember because uh, our mutual friends, Brian Brushwood and Justin Robert Young, had a show on, I believe, on Twitter at the time called NSFW. Yeah. And I spent most of the night making a video for their show. Cause I used to do that. Like I'd make some sort of like, like little three 30, 40, 50 second joke video for their show. So I spent yeah. the evening doing it and I was getting like really weird and like tired and a little bit of a fever. I was like, I don't know what's going on. And so yeah. I finished the video. I sent it off. I didn't even watch the show. I went to bed and I woke up like that. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> That's gnarly, man. I'm like, I, 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 I mean, what did they have to do? Take your tooth out or something? Or what was the? Yeah. Thing? Yeah. They, they, they ended up having to pull it and put in a different one, but yeah, it was just like, I had like a little cavity that I, I didn't get taken care of for a couple of years cause I was young and dumb. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, yeah. so then just one morning it just decided, okay, well we're going to make you, I don't know, like a Bluto from Popeye or something with the big blood. Yeah, mine didn't manifest so much in my head and my face like that as it did. Just, I had this very similar thing. I had a root canal go bad and it was so, oh, it was awful, dude. Mm. It was one of the worst things. They finally just yanked the whole tooth out, which I guess is what happened to you, but they just, yeah. just extracted the whole freaking thing. And I remember uh, thinking I would never let a tooth get to that point again, ever. Oh, yeah. I, I will say that I was a little irregular going to the dentist before this. Mm. After this, I'm at least uh, I'm at least a once or twice a year kind of guy yeah. on the dentist. Yeah, it has a way of making you way more careful about your teeth when you have an experience like that. All right. I'm going to take that away so we don't barf. Um, <laughs> okay, Scott. So thank you so much again for talking to me today. It's been a great conversation. If people want to follow what you do, where they, can they find that stuff? Uh, you can find everything I'm up to over at frogpants.com. And that includes the podcast. There are a number of them. I produce, I don't know, what is it, eight shows now or something. Um, everything from morning shows to the big video game show I talked about. I kind of a lot of bunch of other stuff in between. So uh, chances are something you might enjoy. And uh, on the art side, which is a lot of what we talked about today, you can find mm -hmm. that on the same site as well. In fact, those 25 Santas I'm working on, you can find those at frogpants.com slash Santa right now. Uh, I got to come up with today still. I haven't done it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, always something fun popping at frogpants.com. So go check it out. Now, it, may I suggest Santa with a big abscess tooth swollen <laughs> jaw? Why not? He's supposed to go deliver all these gifts and he has to deal with this now. Oh, man. What a pain. <laughs> what a pain. Literally. <laughs> all right, Scott. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. It was great being here. Read the stories and join the team at everlyheights.tv. Follow us on Facebook, 
Instagram, and Twitter at Everly Heights. Watch us build Everly Heights in building dreams by subscribing to at Bill Meeks LA on YouTube. Get access to the custom stable diffusion models we're using to build Everly Heights, as well as our morning meeting production diary by supporting us at patreon.com slash Everly Heights.